Hey, uh, Nick, who who kicked off the podcast last time? Who introduced it? I, I can't remember. I can't remember. We should probably make a note so that we know whose turn it is to introduce, introduce the next episode each time. But um, I'll tell you what, I'll just go ahead and do it. Okay. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Hidden Node podcast. And I'm here with Joel. Oh, hey, it's Joel. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Very good. Very good. Thank you. Yourself? Uh, yeah, really good. Really good. Um, hey, I just kind of want to jump right in here because I have some Please. very pertinent questions to ask you. Um, so I needed to do some, I needed to uh, work with GitHub the other day. I needed to get some software put on GitHub and I needed to make some updates to that. And so I went and Googled Git because I have no idea how to Google Git. And one of the very first things that came up was actually a link to your blog to like a cheat sheet of Git commands on your blog. And I thought that was really great. And so wow. I was just kind of wondering uh, if I can pick your brain about Git a little bit. And of course, there's lots of other things we could talk about. But I just, you know, I really like how I just want to hear like your perspective on Git. I want to find out what you use it for, things like that. Sure. I mean, I am, uh, well, I'm blown away that my uh, my cheat sheet would appear because that article is quite young and I really don't know that much about Git. In fact, I would definitely describe myself as a total Git beginner. Yeah. Well, that's part of why I kind of want to chat with you about it because I feel like your perspective would be really good because like a lot of people, you ask them about Git and they make all these assumptions about like what you know and they assume that you know all this stuff already and it's like, I don't know any of this. I don't and know so you're, anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly where I'm at. And so I, you know, I don't know. It would just be really nice to hear a bit about what you're using it for, how you hold it you know, what kind of pitfalls I need to watch out for and things like that. And I really, you know, to be honest, I don't remember exactly how I got to your blog and how how that's where I ended up. All I know is I did. And this was like a week ago sure. that this happened. And so, you know, it would be really cool if it was like the third thing on Google. And yeah, maybe, maybe Google <laughs> and is totally like, unjustified. <laughs> maybe Google is like giving preference to things that things that I don't know. It's like giving preference to your stuff now. I don't know. That's that'd be weird, but uh, uh, just for me, I don't know. But yeah, I so I have a I have I have a project going on at the moment, which I'm not going to talk about the details around it too much just yet. Okay, uh, okay. I want to I want to leave that for another another time. But Roger. I have a I have a Raspberry Pi Zero W, and I've been I was I was I went through a period of time where I was writing lots of Python scripts. Okay, uh, maybe six or seven different. Python scripts to do different aspects of this Raspberry Pi's task. Okay. And I eventually, why did I go back to, I think, I think because I knew this project was going to kind of go on and I, um, yeah, I think I, I knew there was going to be a future for the project. So I decided that I would uh, try to obey and learn some of this version control. Okay. Most I think so that I could roll back easily when I broke the script, which of gotcha. course I did a lot. Yeah. Okay. So that is one of the biggest things that I've run into is uh, basically just for like a tiny bit of background on what my project is, is it's an Arduino mm -hmm. project, an Arduino microcontroller project. And it's not a complex piece of code, but it is for me because I'm not a software developer by, you know, that's not my trade. This is very much like a hobbyist thing for me. And yeah, I've run into some big problems where like I'll make a change and it just breaks everything. 
And then I'm yeah. trying to figure out, okay, well, what did I change and what broke it? And oh no, I already hit the save button. And was it like the file labeled like newest for real or the file labeled absolutely the newest for real? Like which one is, and so it's gotten really, really yes. ugly. So I think, <clears throat> I think the difference, possibly one difference there though, was that for me, I was, because I was working on this remote uh, Raspberry Pi mm -hmm. and I was pushing all of my code changes through Git. Every time I changed anything, mm -hmm. I had to commit it. So, because mm. I would edit the code on my laptop, push mm -hmm. it to Git, and then SSH, and then have a SSH window open to the Pi, and then pull it. Mm. So, and by forcing myself, and it was horrible because it was grossly inefficient. I could have just done all of the edits directly onto the scripts running on the Pi, mm -hmm. but by doing this, it saved me a couple of times from having to needlessly rewrite code or yeah. hunt to because and and you know you should you should definitely obey the, the the rules here and maybe only change one thing each time. But I didn't. You I didn't. was changing like four or five things in do in three or four different scripts, and then something breaks. You're like, hmm. Now I have no idea what I actually did. <laughs> So to help me understand how are you how are you you were using Git here? Were you kind of using it as a way to just get your code from your laptop over to your Raspberry Pi? Is that kind of is that kind of how you were using it? That is how I was doing it. Yes. Uh -huh. In okay. and and what I started off with, let's say I have five services running on the Raspberry Pi and they're all doing something different. I started off by having a Git repository for each script. Okay. And then I would change script A, then push it. Oh, sorry, a commit, and then push on the laptop, and then be SSH'd into the Pi. And then I would go into that folder and do a pull, and then test to make sure that it was working correctly. And this went on for a little while, but it soon became especially as I started adding more services and more scripts to this job that the Raspberry Pi was meant to be doing for me, it became too messy to have a Git repository for each one. So then I bundled all of these scripts and folders into a single Git repository. Mm -hmm. And then I would do exactly as you just described. I would use Git to push code and and minor changes from my laptop to Git, and then on the Pi, pull that down. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. That that seems that's a very interesting way. To, I, maybe that is a normal way to use Git. I don't know because I'm such a noob when it comes to Git and all things development. I don't even know Python. Uh, the way that I'm using it is strictly for revision control because, mm -hmm. I mean, everything that I do is I have this code base, it's on my laptop, and I make changes, and then I basically hit the upload button and it uploads to my Arduino project and it immediately begins running. That's it. Yes. So it sounds like our use cases for Git are actually fairly different. I mean, you still are using it for version control, right? So you can roll back if you break something very ba badly. Yes, and that's definitely the driving force behind me using Git along with I don't know how to use Git so I would like to learn and there's no better way than having a real project to use it for mm -hmm. but we then recently had a I recently came across a scenario where a developer friend of mine 
who was getting involved with the project wanted mm-hmm. to have a look at the code and bearing in mind when I started using Git I had no expectation of anybody being remotely interested in having a look at the code but right. alas because of Git it was very easy to invite him into the repository and suddenly he can now view all of the commits all of the code changes that I made and access all of the files that I've written in a developer friendly way right whatever that means now when you were doing your commits and stuff like did you make notes about what you'd change like can he step back and see what you what and why you change things or is it just like basically just new chunks of code that keep showing up all over the place in there what's that look like well, for him every, because every time you every time you add a commit you have to have a note and i felt i felt wrong just adding changed code like <laughs> yeah. that that note yeah. wouldn't yeah. wouldn't help me <laughs> <laughs> i i want to put i want to use that as my uh, for some of my commits now like changed but, wrote code <laughs> like yeah but sometimes it's so ridiculous you know it's like fixed typo yeah i mean <laughs> but yeah but because i because i because i was forced to do it in this iterative way it meant that when i did break things i could look at the commit comments and be like and 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 maybe have a slightly better idea about why i broke whatever it is that i broke right right but it Uh. was because i was forced to use git as the middleman between my laptop and the raspberry pi yeah i don't think i would have been i mean maybe maybe if you if you maybe you should try doing uh you know a separate laptop that runs the that is physically connected to the the Arduino, so that you have to push it via Git. Every time you change anything, you have to push it through Git. That that is a very good idea, actually, because using Git is going to require. I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to really pay attention. Like, okay, before I try to upload this to, uh, you know, to my Arduino project, I need to push these changes to Git. But the problem is, is that I'm such a novice when it comes to software development or writing any kind of code that a lot of times I'm just changing like one character. I'm like, oh, that mm-hmm. broke. Try again. Oh, that didn't work yet. Try, try again. <gasps> oh, okay, it worked that time. Okay, so that's how I do that, you know? And yep. so I wonder like how how often should I be, you know, branching the code out, making changes to that branch? I, I'm kind of wondering if I'll do it like kind of on a feature by feature basis, you know, like whenever I go, okay, well, I want to make this LED blink in this specific way. I, mm. you know breakout what's that called i'm looking at your quick reference on your blog right now that's called a uh let's see do you have it in here maybe not i might not because i because i haven't been like the 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 scenario the environment in which i've been using git hasn't really called for branching and Mm -hmm. i probably should learn and and hopefully will at some point about you know why I would want to use this, but it's very much been a uh, tweak code, push pull, tweak code, push pull, tweak code, push pull. Oh, it's broken. Let yeah. me address what it. I, I I did not do any branching. Yeah. Okay. See, that sounds very similar to what I'm doing right now, except just take Git out of the equation and just upload it directly to the Arduino project that I'm working on. And yeah. I, I, but I think that's a habit that I want to get into. I think I want to get to a point where I can start uh, start branching the code. Uh, you know, branching the code, making these changes, and then merging that back into the master. The, is it called the master branch, or is it just called master? I think it's just called master. So, 
I have sure. a lot of. I feel like there's a lot to learn around Git, and what, what I feel like it'll probably take a while to become Reflex. But I need yeah. to get to a point where it is. I need to get to a point where Git is just completely reflex reflexive. Is that a word? Uh, reflexive. I don't know. Uh, is it reflexive, denoting a pronoun that recurs to a subject of the clause? Oh wow. Uh, it's an adjective. So it might be a word, but was it an? appropriate use of the I, word yeah actually the dictionary function on google is not helping me out at all here <laughs> so hey speaking of uh git and you know writing code and all that stuff you know you're working on this raspberry pi project um mm. have you seen uh you know both of us being wireless network engineers we both interface with poe or power over ethernet where you know you, where you can feed power to a wireless access point over one cable so you get power you get data over the exact same cable yeah. have you used the raspberry pi uh poe hat at all that plugs into the top of the pi like, is that i've not used it and i was just kind of wondering if you had any experience or any thoughts around it for because i know you've been working on these raspberry pi projects yeah i have not i'm fascinated by the raspberry pi poe hat uh-huh and 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 also, you know, why more equipment doesn't use PoE. Right. And I, like, like, okay, so I think the best example would be I have Philips Hue lights in okay. my house. Okay. And that hub, the bridge device that bridges Zigbee and wired Ethernet is incredibly low power. It weighs very... Like, I think the heaviest part of it is the plastic housing. That yeah. Inside, the, the board, no doubt, is tiny. And this box requiring a power brick is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, I, I think I'm picking up... I, I think I'm understanding where you're coming from on this because I often find that the power bricks for my devices often take up more space than the device itself, which mm -hmm. is really frustrating. And it's also frustrating to me that, you know, here in the US we have 120 volt AC at the wall. You have you have two twenty there, right? You're all you're all two twenty in the UK. We are, right? yeah. I think two well, two two twenty, two thirty, two forty, I think. I think I'm yeah, I think I'm two forty. There, there's a range here in the U.S. that's yeah. considered acceptable. I don't know what it is, but I think it does vary. The actual voltage itself varies a little mm -hmm. bit. But what I find incredibly frustrating is we're getting to a point where AC power is not what we actually need anymore. We we really need DC power everywhere. And like, uh, for example, a few days ago, I installed a whole bunch of LED light bulbs in my house, and I was really excited about that. Like, why that kind of thing excites me now, I don't understand. But they're just stupid normal LED light bulbs. They okay. need yeah. DC power to operate, I think. Sure. And so they pro they probably have a transformer inside. That yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like your Philips Hue, you have a Philips Hue hub, right? Yeah. Is that what you have? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I have one too. It's just a tiny, like, I don't know, it's, uh, it's just a tiny little box with yes. like three lights on it and a button, right? Correct. Yeah. A I have hardware button. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into detail on that hardware button in a minute. Ooh, oh, okay. I'm excited about that because I want to. I, I, I think, I think you're doing a lot more like cool automation stuff around your house and things like that than I am. But it is really frustrating to me though that we have all these consumer electronics that need like five volts. That's what they need. But we have to have a bazillion power bricks everywhere, 
And so we've just got this major problem where everything has to have its own power brick and it's it's just really frustrating and really annoying. So are you suggesting that power over Ethernet would make sense in a uh, in a residential environment? Is that kind of what you're getting Ooh. at? Oh, I don't like what you did there because I was just about to jump in and say, I think it would make perfect sense in my home uh-huh. because I have a PoE switch. Uh, would it make sense in your average residential environment? I, I don't think it would. <laughs> so you I were about to say it wouldn't have... make sense to have power over Ethernet in a residential environment. Um, well, no, probably not. But but maybe this is maybe this is a pivot point. This is this. Think how think about the advantage to consumers if and and the cost saving for the hardware manufacturers if we just started moving towards standards based PoE in home Wi-Fi uh, modem router Wi-Fi boxes. Yeah, that would be. Oh, sorry, did you understand what I said? That sorry, I meant router. Um, oh, oh, oh! Uh, just, I was like, what's a what's a like uh, router? Is uh, that like roto router? Uh, like the the plumbing guys? <laughs> like what's going on? I'm very comfortable with saying router. In fact, I remember for my first job after returning to the UK from living in Canada for three years, and uh, during the interview, I dropped router a couple of times and you know i was laughed at and i oh yeah that's right it's router over here okay i can i I can i can i can i can be down with that it's that that is funny although you know what (laughs) i i i think i actually do prefer if you call it a router because okay i I don't know i sounds cool to me and i know exactly what you're talking about when you say it you know um so yeah out of interest what do you call the tool that has a a bit and it's yeah. not a drill. Yep, you know where I'm spinning, going with this? Oh yeah, yep. It's a spinning it, bit that you move around yeah. and carve things on it. Yep, yep. We call that a router. Okay. Like because you see, we we do call that a router. Uh huh. But then we call the electronic version a router. For... And that differentiation makes a ton of sense because now we know exactly which one you're talking about. Although it doesn't fix the problem of talking about the two in text. No, no, it does not. Does but then, not. The, as with many things in the English language, the the spelling <laughs> doesn't, oh, yeah. doesn't help, does it? Because there's quite a few. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, so I'm not going to go down that fork of conversation. Right, move on. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just yeah. <laughs> uh, the other day, well, not the other day. A few. Oh man, uh, maybe even a year ago now. We were first teaching my oldest daughter to read. Uh, she was really upset when we showed her t- how to spell the word tree, T-R-E-E, as in a tree, because she thought that the word was tree, C-H-R-E-E. She thought they were trees. <laughs> and so she was super annoyed. She was like, she was really annoyed that she thought they were one way all this time. And then they ended up, it ended up being not like that. Like she had to change her entire way of thinking around how to even pronounce this word tree instead okay. of tree. So And did that? change the way that she then went on to pronounce that word no no her pronunciation stayed exactly the same uh, okay because i mean they're almost that you can't really differentiate between tree and tree like they they just don't yeah english is yeah. weird and it's really not that Definitely. great of a language i think i don't know uh but right let's let's stay on <laughs> let's stay on poe for a minute oh I'm, yeah we're uh, not even close to being done with that yeah okay because i think you've raised a really interesting thing and i would very much like to see poe becoming more of a thing around the home because having all of these power bricks that convert ac to dc is 
absurd. Yeah, and having a centralized Ethernet switch that you just plug everything into and it just automatically powers everything sounds fantastic. It sounds really good. But I think mm. there's a key flaw with this though, Nick, a major problem that I hate admitting. And that okay. is that you and I have way more devices than most people do. And on top of that, you and I actually have Ethernet infrastructure in our house, you know? This is true. This is true. But, but, I mean, may, I could make a business case here for Philips Hue to put a PoE, func- put, put the PoE hardware into their future boxes. Right. Because that would be a huge, it would be a huge selling point. I suppose, I suppose the problem is that you would, you, you would then complicate your, your sales model, wouldn't you? If you then had with AC adapter and without AC adapter yeah. units. Yeah. Well, okay. So I actually do have a, I have a device in my home network that uses PoE. Uh, that is, so it's a, it's a 3G, 4G GSM modem. It's a cellular modem and okay. it is my failover modem. And so when, uh, uh, you know, like when my home internet goes out, I fail over to, to basically to T-Mobile and, uh, that, that little device, it's a, uh, oh, who makes it? It's not a TP link. It's not a D link. It's a Netgear. It's a Netgear okay. box and it actually supports POE. They sold two models. Uh, it was like 30 bucks more to get the POE version. So wow, it exists. Things like this exist. Now, embarrassingly, mine's not actually running on POE. I need to fix that. I'm out of, <laughs> you definitely need to fix that. I'm out of, uh, I'm out of uh, ports on my switch. It's like completely <laughs> done. So I don't have anywhere else to plug the doggone thing in. But, um, but no, it, so it exists. Now, here's a question that I have for you, Nick. What if instead okay. of using a standards-based PoE, like, you know, 48 volt, 802.11AF or 802.11AT, or it's not, not 802.11AF, 802.3AT, 802.3AF. Yes. I always mix those up. What if they did like passive PoE, kind of like Ubiquity nope. does? No, nope, like get out. Volt? Oh, no. Nope. Ooh, okay. not, not, not doing it. <laughs> okay. I, like, ubiqu- Ubiquity... I haven't actually played with the Ubiquiti gear that much, but I have played with plenty of Microtik, and I think uh-huh. Microtik's fantastic, except why? Why would you do this to me? Why would you go ahead and use your weird, like, 24-volt passive PoE? Like, Nick, I don't, wh- think what it's the even 20, I don't think it's even 24-volt. I think it is, it is whatever power, at least the the one Microtik that I, the one Microtik router that I have touched, um... <laughs> I think that it, it actually outputs whatever voltage you input into the Microtik. So if you plug in five volts, that's what you get out of the PoE port. I could be wrong about that, so don't okay. quote that. Yeah, or well, passive post PoE that, that to would, a podcast that or anything seem, like that. That would seem to make sense. Like, but I, I, I mean, I don't have a. I guess I don't have a problem with if there was equipment that could do both. Maybe like I have yeah. a. I have a Netgear eight port PoE switch, uh-huh. and I use that, and I think it's great because it allows me to not have a huge switch in right. the uh, entrance hallway to my home. It's and just like it, it's uh, unmanaged. It's very compact, right? It actually it is managed through oh, wow. a horrific web. UI, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and I have no need for VLANs in my home, but uh-huh. yeah, it it is it is it is managed, uh, and it's 
kind of useful if you can shut ports as well so i can i can bounce devices if i need if i need to but yeah i i really would like the ability to power some more of these things around the home by poe and that brings us brings me back around to the raspberry pi so for a while i don't think this one's operational anymore i think i had to take it away but i do have a raspberry pi sat up in the loft Mm -hmm. and it had a temperature and humidity sensor okay on that and yeah ridiculous because i've got an ethernet cable running from my poe switch into the loft Uh and then i have to use a power brick to give that raspberry pi power although you know what? Come to think of it, I could have just—I could use one of those PoE splitters. Yep. So maybe I should do that. But yet again, it's still something else that I need to now go and buy and then shove yep. up in the loft. Yep. I. 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 Yeah. It's. It is a. Uh, it is messy, and I kind of. So my. I obviously my work revolves around technology. My hobbies definitely revolve around technology. But I also like having a clean house. I like having, I don't like technology to be obvious in my house. I want it to be as hidden as possible. And power bricks just ruin my ability to do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, And then, but you're right. Like if you add a little POE splitter thing in there, it doesn't solve the problem of clutter. Now you have the device and then an awful little splitter thingamabob sitting next (laughs) to it. Little spider's web of cables going on and like, Yeah, yeah, it's it's a major problem. Okay, so here's kind of what I'm thinking, though, around like the whole PoE or some kind of equivalent for consumer electronics. Maybe yep. 48 volt standards-based PoE that was designed for use in enterprise. Maybe that is overkill. You know, maybe that is too maybe much. Maybe you're right. Uh, now, you go to like 24 volt passive PoE, which, you know, is done by Ubiquity and a couple of others. Okay, yeah, maybe that could work and and nick they actually do make poe switches that do both um yeah okay do they ubiquity yeah ubiquity switches as far as i know all of their current model switches all their switches for a long time now they actually default to standards based poe and then if you want to flip the port over to 24 volt passive poe there's actually a setting uh in on for that specific port on the switch uh, the only reason i know that is because at one of the networks that i i kind of help help out with we did a, a point-to-point link, and we plugged that point-to-point gear into one of our Ubiquity switches, and it the point-to-point thing was a Ubiquity 24-volt passive PoE thing, and it just didn't work. And I was like, it did no worky. Why did no work? You know. And then I went home and yep. did some research and found out, like, oh, you have to actually go tell it that it's passive PoE, and then it'll start working. And so I did, and that fixed it. Um, huh. So it's out there. But to kind of take this a step further, though, I kind of wonder if instead of uh, instead of using uh, 48 volt or passive PoE, it's yeah. almost like there needs to be. Oh, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's Go almost on. like there needs to be an additional standard for home use, <laughs> something that makes sense for home. To, oh, I need to stop. This isn't, is bad. Isn't isn't that just passive PoE? I mean, the passive PoE. If if it was always if it was just agreed upon that it would be 20 24 volts or or even or even five volts. I mean, yeah. But then, but then your then your access points wouldn't be able to run off of it. But then, yeah. maybe that's okay. But, oh, but think about most consumers. You know, you and I being wireless network engineers, like, yes, I have a couple of access points in my house. Like enterprise grade access points are here. Mm-hmm. How many people have that? For not real. No, it's not the norm. So, 
And the kinds of devices that I think consumers, regular residential consumers would benefit from being able to power from their from, from over an Ethernet cable are going to be the incredibly low-powered boxes that convert uh, Ethernet, wired Ethernet into ZigBee. Yeah. Or, <clears throat> what else do I have plugged in? I think it's just my ZigBee bridge. Oh, and I have, I have a, I live with a cat and I have bought <laughs> a cat flap that has a, uh, it's a smart, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, smart cat flap. So okay. the, the cat flap itself, I can lock and unlock from, from my phone, which That's, sounds that's like totally it. ridiculous, but, it, but it's, it's fantastic. So... So that is just that's another example of one of your IoT or Internet of Things devices. Yeah, and and of course it's not standards based Zigbee. Mm-hmm. So it has to have its own hub and it runs off a of five volt. So that that's yet another Ethernet port used on my switch uh-huh. and another three pin socket used in order for me to convert two hundred and forty volts. Down, down five. into five volts DC. In yep. fact, I think in that area where all of this rat's nest of uh, AC to DC conversion happens, I think I now have two devices which run off of five volts. And I think I'm using one power brick into a USB hub and then two USB to micro USB cables to power them. So maybe I'm getting away with only one power one power brick powering these yeah. but anyway nevertheless this is all unnecessarily complex yeah yeah it i i definitely see what you're saying there um thinking down like like oh you've also got um well you've also got a couple of those hey i'm gonna say hey iris boxes to make sure i don't trigger anything right sure uh, yes you know hey she shall but, that shall not be named but they're they are they they are not wired they are not right. wired ethernet in fact the HomePod does not have any ports on it at all. At all. Nope. And so you kind of have to categorize consumer electronics into like two different types. You've got some that are designed to sit next to your modem router combo box thing. And yep. then you've got some that are designed to be, you know, sprinkled around the house. And unfortunately, no matter what, will need their own power brick. But this really does make me wonder... What if your modem router combo box thingy, what if it did output a very basic form of PoE? It could just be 5-volt passive PoE. It doesn't have to be a long cable run. It's going to be super short. And so that everyone can kind of have their little technology hub in their house where they've got, here's my modem router combo box, and then here is my Zigbee bridge, and then here's my cat flap bridge, and... Mm -hmm here is my one other little, or, you know, here's my other little thing that does this or that, you know, like a Disney circle or something like that. Have you heard of that? The Disney circle? No, uh, tell me, what is it? it uh, well, it's awful for starters. Uh, so okay. you don't want one. Uh, it's designed for people that have kids and you plug it into your, your home network and it basically does ARP poisoning. And right. that way you can watch what your kids are doing and shut the internet on and off and things like I that. It, content gotcha. filtering. I, I don't okay. like that at all. That bothers me. I just, ugh, I don't, I don't want to plug something like that into my network it just sure and on top of that i guess as a tech enthusiast if you were going to monitor and filter the internet for your family's internet connection you're going to do it through a more granular system than something made by disney i think it's actually fairly granular and i should probably give it a fair chance and look at it yeah i've i don't know 
I okay, but, but either way though, everybody has this little like technology hub in their house somewhere. Yes, and for yes. most people, it's an assortment of bricks and stuff like that. And man, if there was a standard, okay, you've you've talked me around. I I retract my earlier really dismissal of passive POE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of course, I would just say that because it it often bugs me that I can't power a microtic in my home from my poe switch which is standards based but the case you make for in the home a passive poe yeah a home a home uh router that also had passive poe i I, i'm on board i'm on board all right nice let's make it happen all right yeah let's just get right on that i'll I'll give uh i'll give my buddies at um at oh who's a modem router combo would be netgear wouldn't it like yeah in the UK, like so, I, I use I, I have Virgin Media as my internet provider, and okay. they ship me a uh, Super Hub. That's the name of it. But it's Ooh. it's a it's a cable modem with a router with a modem with a Wi-Fi box inside it. Oh, and a firewall. It's it's everything all in one. But inside, right. it's a Netgear. Gotcha. Yeah, here in the United States, I use CenturyLink, and it's a DSL. Are you cable or DSL? I am cable cable okay uh is it kind of okay so here in the u.s there's always one cable provider and one dsl provider it is like that's what you get it's one or the other is that kind of how it is for you so in the uk and i may not get this 100 right but we have british british telecom was the company who produced you know who installed all of the copper telephone wires throughout Mm -hmm. pretty much the entire uk Mm -hmm. but then in the era of Margaret Thatcher, the uh, it was privatized. And then right. although British Telecom was the company responsible for building and maintaining the physical infrastructure, they then uh, encouraged uh, competitors to come in and offer services on top of that infrastructure. Really weird, actually. And I... So- is BT yeah. like a? Oh, I should not interrupt. Sorry, I should not have interrupted. But is BT like a? Uh, was that were they a government entity then? Yeah, they were state oh. owned, and then they became private. And at that point, all serious investment in that infrastructure stopped because there was they were no as a company they were no longer able to guarantee return on the investment in that infrastructure because huh. you had. Just like the, just like with the mobile operators, you have the actual carriers, and then you have the MVNOs, who are sort of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretend carrier. I actually don't own any of the infrastructure, but I rent space from from your car- from the big carriers. Right. We had the same similar thing here, where British Telecom owned and maintained all of the infrastructure, but these other companies were able to undercut them, and so. <laughs> It didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, wow. And so so when they offered up their own network for MVNOs, which stands for Mobile Virtual Network Operator, by the way. Thank only you. Because I looked I only just I Googled that. I don't I like I know what an MVNO is. I don't know what it stands for. Mobile virtual network <laughs> operator. So they basically like undercut themselves basically by allowing other companies to use their infrastructure that could offer cheaper services. You know what? I would like to get someone on the, I would like to bring someone else into the conversation at some point who actually knows what they're talking about regarding this. So I'm going to okay. I'm going to add that to my little notes and say like we should get someone who actually can speak with authority on that because I think that would be a really 
interesting topic of conversation and they can correct me where I got it wrong. Let me answer your actual question. Okay. Yes, in the UK, there are, there's one, there's pretty much one cable provider, which is Virgin Media. And they've had lots of different names in the past. Like they were cable and wireless and then some, oh, who else were they? Tell, telly? I can't remember. Uh, but there's one cable provider and now you have lots of providers who will offer you internet over the copper telephone wires into your home mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the you now get fiber to the box in the road and then telephone wires from that although and then sometimes people are getting uh, fiber into the house now as well yeah that's happening a little bit here too um like my brother-in-law they bought a brand new house in a brand new neighborhood not far from my house actually really close by and they got fiber like he has fiber direct into his house and so he has symmetrical gigabit which i'm super jealous of wow Uh, yeah and it's frustrating because he's not that far away from me he's just newer neighborhood than i am but yeah here in the u.s we basically have two uh like here locally where i live we have CenturyLink as our telco and then we have uh sparklight which they just rebranded from cable one to sparklight but what really frustrates me is like uh cable one modems or sorry, Sparklight modems, they are just a modem. Like, that's it. They don't have, they don't do DHCP. They don't have a firewall. They, they don't do any of that. They let you plug in your own, you know, whatever into it and then boom. So like, I just set up a network for my uncle a couple of days ago and we did a couple of airport extremes and it's great because the airport extreme is doing all the work. I just want the modem to be a modem. I want the airport extreme yes. to do everything else. Me though, having DSL with CenturyLink, they do not sell any kind of box that is just a DSL modem. They, that just does not, they do not sell that. Uh, and so my DSL modem is a switch and a router and a, and a firewall and all the, and I have to go in and turn all that stuff off and turn on transparent yep. bridging to let my own firewall handle it. It's really annoying. W- which do you do? Like what, what does your setup at home look like? Yeah, I have a similar thing where Virgin Media provided me with this awkwardly shaped box, which is called the Super Hub. And it has the capability of being my access point, my modem, my router, what else, firewall. And I have turned it into a transparent bridge where it is just a cable modem. And then, so so it has a mode inside it called, uh, called modem mode, I think. And modem I, yeah, mode. you drop it, You yeah, you basically just drop it into, I'm now a modem and that's all I am. The... You can only now plug anything into port one, uh, Ethernet port one on it, and it just converts the coax that comes into my house into Ethernet. And then on the other side of that, I have to put in a router, which I use a Microtik box for. And then I go from the Microtik box into my PoE switch, and then from the switch to my access points. Gotcha. So your sounds like your setup is very, very similar to mine because yeah, my my modem is in transparent bridging mode. And then I actually have a Ubiquity USG three, the little unified secure gateway. And so I actually okay. have mostly Ubiquity stuff here, which is hilarious because I work for one of you I work for one of their direct competitors. I wouldn't say direct competitor, but definitely a competitor. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I'm, I'm getting things like, I, I don't know. My network is going to be changing soon to not all the way, but some things about it are going to be changing. Of course it will for, uh, for uh, business purposes. Business purposes. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, no, I, I think what I will do, I think is I'll probably keep the ubiquity stuff as kind of my production stuff. Uh, yeah. And then I'll use my insert, my employer name here 
you know, mm-hmm. I'll, they'll, they'll, I, I want to be able to change this stuff around and mess with it and break it whenever I want without actually hurting my home network, yes. and, you know, so, but yeah, I, I very much though, I, I, I do the transparent bridging mode thing, but what bugs me about that so much is that now I have this box that has like, it's got like four ethernet ports on it. It's got all these lights. It's got all this stuff. It's this big old box that does all these things. And I just have one cable coming out of it into my home network. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> and I wish so bad <laughs> That I could just go buy a little rack mount, you know, DSL modem that had one. And that's exactly, it's my 3G modem that I talked about. It has one Ethernet port on it. It's right. fantastic. that's all it's intended to do. Yep. And it does, yeah. it can be a DHCP server, but I don't use that on it, obviously, because it's there just for failover. But yeah, I, I really like, though, how that little box is set up. And I wish there were more boxes out there like that. But to bring it all back around, though, to mm. our PoE conversation. I think just to kind of put a cap on that whole thing, and I'd like to hear your closing thoughts as well if you have any. But it would be really cool if you could buy a modem router combo box that on all four Ethernet ports that it offered, it offered some kind of power over Ethernet out of those so that when you plug in your Philips Hue box next to it, yep. it's just one cable. I concur. I, I would very much like to see that. And if it was standards-based or passive PoE, it, whatever it takes, to be honest, if it, if I could just get away with fewer power bricks, I'm on board. You know, the reason I... Did you did you have anything else to remark on that? No, that's, you know, that's basically okay. it. I think the reason that I added... Not I think. The reason I added PoE hat, uh, Raspberry Pi PoE hat to <clears throat> the uh, I wanted to talk about it was that his, I think there there is now a version two of the Raspberry Pi PoE hat because I'm just looking at the pictures now and what I remember a long time ago when I did some research into getting a PoE hat for my Raspberry Pi was that it was a this weird weird um, long thin PCB that I had to kind of solder onto the Raspberry Pi at a at like a jaunty angle, like diagonally across the like across the Raspberry Pi, and it, it the whole thing just just switched me off completely. Huh. But but then you look at the Raspberry Pi Power over Ethernet hat version two, and now it looks far better. Like now it's actually a hat that sits on top, and it has a fan on it. It looks like a a real piece of hardware now but if ever you yeah if you get the opportunity to look up the raspberry pi hat poe hat uh, v1 okay I'm, i've been searching for it um pi hat or pi poe hat v1 nope not vq v1 I can't maybe it, maybe it, it even wasn't a hat before maybe it was just raspberry pi poe version one P- like it was a it was really weird i mean maybe i'm completely wrong about this but i'm sure i looked into it and there was this very odd looking yeah, yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a good send it to me okay all right uh clicking on it now and then got it and now i'm gonna send it to you which is super super exciting i'm sure for okay try that i'm sure that our listeners are just Oh, you sent it yeah. on Telegram. Anyway, I to, I it, Telegram. it didn't it didn't look very neat and tidy. And now this version two POE hat for the Raspberry Pi does look good. And I would like to try one. 
the next opportunity I have for actually needing a uh, POE Raspberry Pi. There we go. What is this? So this doesn't look like an official... Uh, this doesn't look like an official Raspberry Pi Foundation product. It's something no. different, I feel like. But you're right. Okay. It is awkward. It's, it's very yeah. awkward. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I'm looking at the, the actual, the official POE, the POE hat, and it looks very nice. Yeah. The fan is nice. Like, it, it, it conforms to the shape of the Pi. It gives you access to the both the ribbon cable connectors. It's nice. It's really nice. Wasn't this plagued by some issues, though, when it was released? Weren't there some problems with it? I think it was. But this was this was a long... This was a little while ago now, wasn't it? I think, like, like four or five months that it yeah. came out. Um, I, I haven't got one. I haven't played with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, would, I would like to get a PoE hat because I want it all integrated into one box, and I have... Holy cow, there's a TV hat now? There's all... Wow, all kinds of stuff. But, yeah, actually, you know what? I think they even blogged about... Yeah, so I'm looking at a blog post right now called The Anatomy of a Product Quality Issue, issue POE Hat, where they actually explain, like, what went wrong, which I think is super cool that, that the Raspberry Pi Foundation actually, like, admitted, like, yep, we did something wrong, here's what was happening, and here's what we did to fix it. I think that's really cool, and that gives me a lot of confidence in their, yep. in their products. I would like to talk about the POE Hat more, but let's do it once we've both done a little bit more research and reading on it. Well, okay, how expensive are these things? Where can I get one? Um, let's see. Oh, pieshop.us is probably where I need to be looking. You're probably Element 14. Yeah, I, I've, okay. I've used the Pie Hut before. Pie Hut. Yeah, I think I've ordered from them before, actually. So it looks like they're 20 bucks here in the U.S. Tell you what, does that... I don't know. What do you, how, how do you feel about spending $20 on a POE hat for your... Uh, as kind of oh, like a I... part of a podcast expense because i feel pretty good about it I, I would buy well okay here's the thing i actually need to i actually think i want to keep a raspberry pi in my little switch closet downstairs and okay. not having to have a, yet another power brick would be pretty cool and so i have a bunch of raspberry pies already maybe i should buy one of these and test it out and then we can chat about it a bit more can i be the little devil sitting on your shoulder and be like do it all do right it. spend okay. spend that money Go All on. right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy one. I'll get one, and we'll talk about it in an upcoming <laughs> episode of the podcast. We'll do okay. POE round two or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I am not opposed. And when I next have a... You see, my, my current project revolves around a Pi Zero, mm -hmm. So, and it's specifically a Pi Zero on, on Wi-Fi, actually. So Right. So there's really no point in using POE for that. I don't have a need for a POE raspberry pi at the moment okay we'll tell you what just for the sake of not spending money on things that we don't actually need but i kind of do need this i, I you need it you you I need it. you have a genuine use case i, I mean Nick, i need this before this conversation <laughs> i already knew that i needed this that's only partially true that's actually not true but no i think I, I would like to get one i want to try the official poe hat out and see if it works i'm sure it works great um my use case is i want to aggregate multiple uh raspberry pi camera sources to one wired raspberry pi on my network and have that kind of okay be, yeah uh, we should probably talk about that another day that's that's you know i'd love to talk about that now but we got to talk about all we, we got to talk about cameras and stuff we want to be doing with cameras pretty soon here but okay yeah um hey one more Do thing it. i want to ask Go you about bye. though bye wait bye, wait bye. what bye 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 sorry sorry oh, sorry oh, sorry. oh okay uh, 
I will. I will. I'll buy it. I thought you were saying goodbye. Like, oh, <laughs> bye, Nick. No, 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 no. Sorry. Not, not, not B-Y-E. I was saying B-U-Y. B-U-Y. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Bye. Bye. And this goes back to our language issues from earlier yeah. where it's like, yeah. Yeah. See, we did that intentionally. That was totally <laughs> intentional. We did that. No. Uh, hey, I want to ask you something else too. Um, we, you know, we've been talking about the the the, uh, the Zigbee uh, Philips Hue lights. Do you? So you mm-hmm. have some Philips Hue gear around your house. What do you have? What are you using them for? What do you think of them? Okay, I have a I have a couple of the bulbs, like the. Um, they, they, you know, we, we, so we have, I think it's Edison screw and, and bayonet are the two popular bulb wow. attachment mechanisms. Oh, you're, you're talking about the physical, Actual you're talking bulbs. about, okay, it's Edison screw. Yeah. Is a and standard, then, what? I didn't know anything about it. So this. we have, yeah, we have Edison screw and bayonet as the two pre- main types of, uh, light fitting in the UK. And bayonet light. I'm looking this up right now because okay, all right, bayonet bayonet mount. Bayonet's like where you kind of push it, like it has a two pins on the side of the barrel, and then you push it in and give it a little twist. Yeah, I I feel like I've seen these before. Like this is not the first time I've seen these, but they're called a bayonet. Okay, a bayonet mount. Interesting. Okay, anyway, you were saying. So I have a couple of those downstairs. I replaced my lights in the lounge and the dining room with the Philips Hue bulbs mm-hmm. kind of almost as soon as the Philips Hue came out because I really liked the idea of having dimmable but from my phone right the irony being that they don't pump out as much light as the original incandescent bulbs they're just so always dimmed to... no 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 so like when watching when watching something on the television, which admittedly happens very rarely, but on occasion, it's really nice to have those lights go from, you know, uh, max, which is not very bright, but down to dim, so then you can watch something and enjoy a kind of a cinema experience. Right. However, the, the the thing that I kick myself about is that, yes, I got these Philips Hue light bulbs, which is very cool and very, you know, futuristic, except they just don't put out enough light. So then I have to have mm. other lights in the room to <laughs> supplement the poor light coming from the Philips Hue bulbs. Sounds like you just need more Philips Hue bulbs, right? Uh, right. Okay. Maybe, maybe. Okay, let me get back to the answer to your question, which was how many, what kind of Philips Hue equipment do I have? I have a couple of bulbs which replaced incandescent bulbs in... In, in the bedroom, I have a couple of uh, bedside lights that illuminate the wall rather than, you know, so it's sort of like in indirect light that illuminates the room. Kind of and accent lighting, right? Exactly, exactly. And then because of work and I, me spending a lot of time staring at my monitor, I, you, I, I, I used and now use one of those light strips behind the monitor to bounce light off of the wall so Mm. that you get... uh, I don't really know how to describe it. It just means that it's not this portal of light that I'm staring at with everything around it in contrast is very dark. Yeah, it's basically backlighting behind your monitor, right? Exactly, yes. Now, do you synchronize that with the display at all? Like, do you run any software on your computer to actually synchronize those lights with your display? 
I do not synchronize it with my display, but what I do have is there's an application on the Apple App Store called Circadian Hue. Okay. And it changes the color temperature of the lights behind my monitor in accordance with the time of day. So just as just as Yeah, so in the same way that night shift on the Mac makes your screen go all yellow when it's yeah. starting to get late and you yeah. should be going to bed. Yep. Yep. I, That's what I use it for. Yeah. <laughs> same thing with these uh with the Philips Hue lights. So this they is and go, this appears to be oh it's for Philips Hue, so it's not an official. No. But now, it works quite well. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, so, but it has to run on your Mac, though, right? Well, it does. But I have a Mac Mini downstairs, mm-hmm. which is always on. So I actually run. Uh, actually, I actually do this. What What <laughs> I mean to say is, I have a Mac Mini that's constantly on, and yep, it is the Mac Mini that runs Circadian Hue. You know what I love about you having the Mac Mini downstairs, and I know exactly where it is. I know exactly you know where it is in your house and all that. Mm-hmm. I and before we even really, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, but before we really got to know know each other, I actually have done the exact same thing. Yeah. I have <laughs> in my little closet downstairs. I have a Mac Mini that has no monitor or anything plugged in, and it's just kind of for things like this, where I need a computer yes. to do this, but I don't want it to be my laptop, which is constantly moving around and. I think it's really interesting that we both kind of arrived at that same solution. Get a Mac Mini. Yeah, I wonder how many. I wonder how many like-minded. I mean, I, I guess if 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 we were if we were Linux uh, people, like, and, and we were far more comfortable with Linux, I mean, no doubt we would have a a, a Linux server in the house. Yeah. But I just. I mean, personally, I am comfortable with Mac OS, and what I wanted was yet another Mac to do Mac yes. things. And. <laughs> That is exactly my my situation feels very similar because I don't get me wrong I don't dislike Linux Linux is very cool no. but I don't deeply understand it and sometimes I just want to click on things and have them work you know mm, definitely like, yeah I mean like for example when I'm doing a Raspberry Pi project and it just like stops showing up on my network what do I do well, I just pull the SD card out and just rewrite the whole thing and start over yep. that's basically how I handle problems <laughs> on, in Linux it's really bad I know. <laughs> well, I guess it just depends on whether you can get the results that you want. That's that's the most important thing at the end of the day, isn't it? That's I mean, true. What and kind of res- and yeah. if I was a if I was a if I was a hardcore Windows user, then no doubt I would use a a, a uh, cube computer in the home to run my home server because that's the environment that I'd be most comfortable working within. Right, like a little um, oh shoot, those little they're like the size of a Mac Mini Intel an Intel Nook, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few, and some of them are incredibly powerful, actually, I think. And some of them are incredibly cheap. I mean, man, a few years ago, I actually needed a couple. I didn't get Intel Nooks. I did, like, a Dell had a very similar one. I think we paid, like, $150 each for them, and they were great. They did exactly what we needed them to do, very simply. But but I'm not a Windows guy. I'm a, I'm a Mac OS guy at this point, and nothing against Windows. It's fine. I just don't use it personally. Uh, but, yeah, the Absolutely. Mac Mini thing downstairs has worked great. So talking about uh, this, this is a good a good transition between because we just spoke a lot about Windows. Uh, we could talk about windows of applications on Mac OS. Oh yeah, I okay, nice hints, pretty good. But uh, yeah, I know there. Okay, so I know that there's an application that you're excited about, and I 
Uh, and just so the audience knows, I think there's no setup here or anything like that. I did want to talk about this. I legitimately did. Nice, nice hint. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> um, you have an application called what's it called? Uh, front and center, right? I mean, I, th- I think I think we should be clear. I, I I'm actually not super excited about the application because I oh. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by it more than I'm excited because this is not something that this it doesn't perform a service that I have a have or had a burning need for but uh-huh. it it led me down an interesting path well okay so i don't know anything about this application uh i don't know much about the path that you've been down so i'm, I'm looking forward to you telling your story but what i do know about you though is that you deeply appreciate small quality of life improvement applications like for example an application that lives in your menu bar is that what it's called a mac os a menu bar yeah menu bar yeah yeah it lives in the menu bar that like hides extra you know icons and applications that you don't use all the time like for example Ah. i use i use an application on my mac for work called vanilla which i use to like hide the vpn application and all that junk that i just don't want to look at so can we just start out? Can you just explain to me what front and center is? Because I have no idea like what it even is and what it does. Yes, I can sum this up to you fairly quickly and easily. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I listened to a podcast called Accidental Tech Podcast. Mm-hmm. And on the most recent episode, one of the presenters of this, uh, of Accidental Tech Podcast, guy called John Syracuse, mm-hmm. uh, he spoke at length about his application front and center. And he explained the whole backstory of how it came to be. So what does this application do? It changes a very minor window behavior of macOS. And there are two, there are two, um, two, two, two window behaviors. There is, there is modern window Uh behavior, which is say I have five, windows of chrome open on my Uh mac Uh and a whole bunch of other applications and so i've got all of these different applications dotted around on my screen when i select one of those chrome windows maybe i can just see the corner of one of them and i select that chrome window modern mac os window behavior brings that one window to the front so i've now got Win, uh, window 5 of, of Chrome in the foreground and then a whole bunch of other applications behind it and also mixed in with those are some other windows of Chrome. Holy cow, I had never noticed this before but I've got two Chrome windows and Telegram open right now and you're totally right. If I click on one of those Chrome windows it does not bring both of them to the front and that's going to really bother me now. <laughs> It's going to well, bug me. Luckily for you, there is now a solution because <gasps> front front and center yes. gives you the option to initiate classic window behavior. This is what macOS used to do many, many iterations ago. Yeah, actually, and I'm looking at I'm looking at front and center on the Mac the the Mac App Store right now, and yep. uh, and I like that the icon is actually classic macOS. It looks like macOS eight, <laughs> macOS nine. That is right. like the icon. That's great. And this also so, works when if you're using the application switcher. So if you command tab between applications, mm-hmm. now when you go to Chrome, it will bring all Chrome windows to the front. 
Now, you had a little bit of dialogue with John, the developer for this, and one of the co-hosts of the Accidental Tech Podcast. You had a, a short dialogue with him on Twitter, right? I Forgive me, I saw it. I saw the exchange happen. I don't remember what was <laughs> said, was, though. I, I just remember one... seeing it and going like, ooh, Nick's going to be stoked about that, you know? <laughs> what What happened? I am very stoked about that. Uh, in in um, you know just just grounding, just grounding. It was one tweet in each direction. Nice. So, uh, but basically, I, I I started playing around with front and center, and I don't think the the modification that this app makes to the macOS environment for me is groundbreaking. I I don't I didn't have a problem with the modern window behavior, and mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with classic i mean i'm not sure which way i'll go with this yet i'm gonna experiment right but with all of this what i did start noticing is that and i was aware of this before but i'm trying to use the keyboard more than the trackpad if, if i'm not at my desk I, I like to use the keyboard for switching between applications i've noticed that about you yeah have you I have, yeah. I, well, really? you're just very, yeah, that is kind of a weird thing to be like, Nick, I noticed that you always use your mouse and keyboard. That is kind of weird, I will admit. Uh, we can edit that out, right? We'll, we'll edit that part out to save me the embarrassment. We definitely but won't be editing no, no, that. No, no, no. I, um, I mean, we worked together for a long time. Uh, to be honest, we didn't see each other very, I think we only saw each other like three, maybe four times in our entire, you know, status as coworkers when we worked at the same company. Uh, yeah. But I do remember, you know, various screen shares, webinars, all kinds of things that we ended up doing together. I did notice that you always, always, always would go for a keyboard shortcut before touching your mouse. Like, okay. Very like that. That is a thing that I noticed that you did all the time. And I, I apologize if that's kind of weird that I noticed that <laughs> when you begin to notice your friends. No, no, it's, habits, uh... That's kind of odd. But... <laughs> No, no, not weird in the... No, it's not... Uh, it doesn't It doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Let's put it this way. <laughs> All right, good. I, I probably um, shouldn't have revealed that, but whatever. <laughs> so if if the window behavior of front and center, you know, kind of made you feel a little bit weird now that I pointed out that behavior, this next one's going to upset you, I think. Okay, let's hear it. I'm ready. So do you... Do you, do you, do you close windows with that little red blob or the no. command W shortcut? I, uh, I I always go to, for example, if I want to t- close Telegram, which I'm going to do, Telegram, yeah. quit Telegram. I do not hit oh, command actually, Q, even though I know I should. You actually quit the application. I, uh, you know what? You know what I'll always do is I always put it on its own desktop. I never close the window, but leave the application running. Ah, I okay. always put it. And you know what that probably stems from is to be honest, I, I was a Windows user for a long time, a very mm-hmm. long time. Uh, I did not start using macOS until 2012, 2013, something like that. So that okay. might be why. All right. What about you? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to jump I'm going to carry on and destroy Well, it probably won't affect you so much. So I I I go through phases of using multiple desktops and not. So okay. but at, at the moment I'm kind of on a in a phase where I'm I do most things on one desktop so I don't have to cope with the the animation of it switching left and right. Right. Which, incidentally, you can disable in... You can actually turn that off, and then it becomes more of a crossfade between rather than a motion movement of left and right, which I'll... Yeah, again, that's something else I'd like to kind of talk about, the the unnecessary motion. But anyway, the point is, I use Command-W to close the windows of applications when I know 
I don't want the application to shut down. I just don't want that window open in my face any longer. So I use command W to close the window. But you then cannot command tab back to it. Oh, because the application brutal. switcher does not initiate a new window. It will only bring back a window that's already open or a window that has been hidden. So what I could do is I could get into the habit of doing command H to hide the windows when I'm done with them. And then I could alt then I could command tab back to them. But do you know why I really don't want to do that? Why? Why? Well, because I can do command W with my left hand. If I with only my left hand, if I if I want to do command H, oh, now I have H. to slide now I have to like, you know, do a weird reach across the <laughs> keyboard to the H key. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I definitely uh, so I'm left-handed. Uh so uh, Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I, I think I did know, but I wasn't. I wasn't. If you'd asked me, is Joel left or right-handed? I probably wouldn't have been able to answer. Right. I, I, well, I, feel, I feel bad on the other end of the scale now for having not noticed. Yeah. I, see, this this really is an indicator of who is the better friend because <laughs> I noticed that you used keyboard and you didn't even know that was. That's uh, right. Hannah. That's right. That makes me feel kind of bad. So, hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. That, oh, but okay, but here's a question. What if you remapped Command H to something else? Command. Well, maybe, maybe. How can I? Can I just jump in and and share with you the 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 weird path that that occurred? Yes. Yes. Please do. Be, because I was playing with front and center, which was all about window behavior manipulation. I thought, ah, maybe I should reach out to John Syracuse and say, hey, any chance you could make this behavior changed so that now when you command tab to an application, if there are no windows open, it opens one for you. And you tweeted him this because I, I scrolled through and saw that you had a conversation with him. I don't remember specifics, right. but you tweeted him. And what happened next? That's what right. happened next? And, and and then he actually, he then he, re he replied and said, <gasps> uh, probably not without <sighs> getting hacky with it. And requiring you require, requiring hacks to make the application behave in that way. So that was pretty much the end of that. However, that that spurred me on to have a little bit more of a research into this. And uh -huh. you can get the behavior that I just described. You can get macOS to open a new window of an application if there are no if there are no windows hidden uh -huh. with the application switcher. How? Tell me how. So you have to use the Alt or Option key. And so now you're going to have to test this, but you can press the Command key, press Tab to get to your application that you want to open, and then you have two options. You could use your right hand to press the Option key on the other side of the on the laptop, uh, other side other side of the keyboard, and then when you release Command, it will open a new window for that application, but you don't have to involve your other hand. You can just slide your thumb from command over to option. And oh. in doing so, it opens a new window for that application. Oh, that totally works. But why? Why does it work? <laughs> That's yeah. so bizarre. <laughs> I, I feel like, I mean, oh, it didn't work for me that time, but I think it was just like a, 
Yeah, so I think I can use my my index finger. I can do command with I can do command with my thumb, tab with my um, not my middle finger, but my next to my pinky finger, whatever that is. I think the and, thing, the thing is like you've just you cannot initiate the application switcher with the option key being held down. But once you've initiated the application switcher with command tab, then as long as option is option is down, when command is released, then this alternative behavior is uh, actioned. And so if you use the tip of your thumb on command and then you kind of rock it over to the option key, then it, it that, that that's probably how I'm going to start using it. But I just, it was interesting that I didn't really care that much about this behavior until I messaged John Syracuse on Twitter. And then the fact right. that he actually bothered to reply made me think, oh, maybe there is something maybe there is something about this did some did some further reading on reddit and then yeah the bizarrely the behavior that i described does exist but it's through a key combination that you would never ever ever discover by accident yeah and okay so that's one thing about mac os that kind of bugs me is there are so many hidden things like that you can i mean i feel like you could basically spend a lifetime just learning about how to use keyboard shortcuts in mac os you know? Well, yeah. The same thing's true on the iPad, though, isn't it? Like, I, yeah. I sometimes, sometimes, you know, speak to my parents about, you know, their use of an iPad or something, and, and they're like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing. And you go, well, why don't you just, why don't you just do this? And you're like, well, because nobody ever told me that that was an option. Yeah. Yeah. There have been several times on the iPad that I have, I don't know, several, like, like learning how to dock two windows side by side. Like that, if it wasn't for the little tutorial, when you first start up a brand new iPad, I would have never known how to do that. Not in a million yep. years. In fact, I don't even know that the tutorial at the beginning of the iPad, or when you set up a new iPad, tells you that. I'm not sure if it does either. Either way, there is, it's, it's way too, like window management in macOS is very complex. It's way too floaty for me. Like it's, it's kind of feels like it's all over the place. I got to admit that I've always preferred Windows, how it does window management and things like that. It just, macOS feels a little bit more complex to me. Any aspect in particular? Uh, just, well, one thing that having each window tied like inside the window, that is the application. Whereas in macOS, the application can still be running even if all the windows are closed. I guess I can see both use cases, why you'd want it both ways. But it kind of feels like in ni neither operating system fully sticks to that. You know, in, in macOS, there are a few sure. applications out there that when you close the last window, the application exits. I can't think of any examples right now, but I heard somebody talking about one example the other day. Uh, yep. w Windows, you know, usually uh, well, when you close the last window, it closes the application. The, the native stocks application, for example... On macOS, if you if you have if you have Catalina, there you've mm -hmm. got these Catalyst apps, which are ports from iOS, which I guess is yet another level of complex, oh. uh, you know, another level of complexity, making changing up the variables. But you're absolutely right. The Stocks app, when you close the window, the application shuts down. Okay, I um, so I've never actually used a Catalyst app before okay uh and i knew that they exist and there's a few developers out there that i really wish would take a serious look at porting their mac os applications to i'm sorry porting their ios applications to mac os with this i yep. didn't know that the stocks app did this so i, I oh, feel like yeah so on nice. catalina you've got uh the stocks app and the home app i think they are both ports from ios but you're right. I just closed the window and it closed. And that is a 
that is an Apple application too. And it behaves right. wildly inconsistently with the rest Why? of their applications. Why is it behaving differently? <laughs> Wait, what was that? I said, why does it behave differently? Yes. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna pick something, pick it and yeah. stick to it and be consistent. Yep. yep. And that is the I, I feel like that is the continuous problem with all applications developed by all by all developers everywhere. Anytime where you have a team of developers working on a set of applications, it's so difficult to ensure that everything behaves the same or behaves as the user would think that they would behave. Yeah. Do just talking about the just just looping back again quickly to the window man, manipulation on macOS. Mm. Do you currently use any applications to augment window behavior? Yes, absolutely. the uh, The one that I use the most is Better Snap Tool, which okay. You know, have you seen Better Snap Tool, or do you use it? I I don't think I have used it. Okay. Well, the short story of what it is is uh, basically if you grab a window by the title bar and drag it over to the edge, it snaps it to that half of the screen. And so that makes it very easy to snap two windows side by yep. side on one monitor. And the first okay. place that that appeared was actually Windows 7. Actually, Windows 7 had a snap feature like this. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And Better Snap Tool is like, it's one of those like two ninety nine applications that you just got to have. Yep, understood. I have been using Magnet to do exactly the same thing. Magnet. Let me look that up really quick. I think I've seen it before. Yeah, I I think and they I'm, are identical. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that all that happened is like I just happened to I I just happened to run across Better Snap Tool first. One complaint that I have about Better Snap Tool is it does too much. It does way more than I need it to, which bothers me. I much prefer mm. applications that only do ex almost exactly what I need them to do, and maybe a couple of extra things. Better in that snap case, let me let me just jump into gear with a little bit of uh, upselling to you. Then maybe Magnet is the application that you've been looking for, Joel, because it only does that little bit of window manipulation. Does nothing else. You know, it's wow. nice and nice and clean. Nice and it's, clean little app there. It's very tidy, uh, huh? Okay, yeah. well. Pretty tidy. Are they sponsoring us? <laughs> <laughs> nope. I wish. <laughs> Did you get a sponsorship that I didn't hear about? But I might have to give it a try. $1.99. I mean, that's so cheap. That's one thing I love about all these little applications that do all these little things is they're so inexpensive. I mean, $2, an application like this pays for itself in a couple hours of usage, and you've already saved maybe even a few minutes of usage, and you've already saved time. I agree. And... Oh man, this is this this this. There's like so many more things to kind of like lead on to. I, I've got to jump in and just say the whole ecosystem of micropayments. I am I, when that was started to be talked about. I didn't. I didn't think, believe it. I was like, yeah, right. I'm going to be spending two and three pounds here and there on small applications. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, wrong. Uh, my prediction there was completely and utterly wrong because now I don't even think about it. If I see an app that. It, it fulfills a need that I I want, you know. It fulfills Just a need that I have. It. I'm like, oh, it's bought. Yeah. Uh, you know but, what I think we should do? Yeah. I think we should probably do an episode on our favorite little macOS tools that add just interesting little functionality, maybe not even okay. limited to macOS, but just any operating system, like little tools that yeah. cost just a few bucks that do important things. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we should do that. Did you have one more comment to make? Yeah. The other thing was the app store on mac which 
Have you re- have you ever returned an app? No. Definitely I have returned not. hundreds of apps. You can do that? Yeah. And that's kind of why I mentioned this because I was I was just about to go down a a path of saying like better better snap tool or magnet functionality great but why do i have to pay to test it i in a way i dislike the fact that i have to you know upfront pay 2.99 to test this app what if it doesn't do exactly what i want and so you can return an app within 15 days i had no idea that's really good to know. Hassle free, yeah. So when you get that when you get that receipt come through from from Apple, there's a report a problem button on there, and if it's within 15 days, you can just say, "I want a refund." And that's very consistent with returning their hardware and stuff too. Which, oh my gosh, exactly. we didn't talk about your laptop saga at all. <laughs> no, we didn't. That's that's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, I. I think we better we better uh, I think we better turn the microphones off for the day because we're, yeah. we're, we've gone a long time. But we've had so many interesting things to talk about, and that's a really good problem <laughs> to have on a podcast. So I think so. Uh, to everybody that that took the time to listen into our you know wiretapped phone conversation, thank you for joining us for this. Uh, we really enjoy. I uh, Nick, I love having these conversations about this random stuff with you, and I'm stoked that I'm stoked that uh, that we are able to publish these on the internet for other people to check out and. Yeah, man. No. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, no shortage of things to talk about here. Did you have one more comment to make or did I interrupt you? No, that was it. That was it. <sighs> okay. Well, look, I, other things that we need to talk about, we need to talk about your laptop saga. So I think we need to commit to doing that in an upcoming episode mm-hmm. of the sure. Node podcast. Um, and we, oh, there was one other thing too that we needed to talk about. I don't remember what it was, but... Yeah, yeah, we've really got to, we've really got to write these things down as we go. I also yeah. think that there's I think that I I'd like to explore the possibility of a of a of a different style episode Whoa. in the in the near future with oh. a with a like either it's an interview episode or it's a an additional guest on the podcast something something like this. So like, you know, inviting somebody else into the conversation. Don't don't say who it is, but do you oh, I'm do not you, going to. Good, but do you have somebody specific in mind? I actually have a couple of people in mind right now. Nice. Okay, very good. Well, let's do that. I I think it sounds like a great idea. I'd love to bring some other people on the podcast. And maybe people are tired of just listening to me and you, like, you know, all three people that listen to our podcast, (laughs) one of them being being my wife. Uh, She, oh, by the way, she was very interested in fintech stuff. She thought that was really really interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was... Did she she show, did did Serenity show interest in uh, Bonzo? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, she thought it sounded like a very interesting concept. Uh, I'll have to ask her about that and see, uh, see, because I, 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 she was mid-episode last time I, last time we talked about it. So, okay. yeah, like, as she's been going around the house, like, she, she painted the bathroom the other day, and, uh, and she was listening to the podcast while she was painting, so... Uh, yeah, wow. so we have we have at least two listeners, I believe. Maybe even three. <laughs> but, hey... You know what though? I I'm just stoked that we get to talk. I'm glad that we I'm glad that we get to have these conversations and I'm and holy cow, so many things to talk about. I'm yeah, I I always look forward to the next one when we can cover some more stuff. So, yeah, well let's uh let's do this again soon and whether we get to talking about your epic laptop laptop saga or getting a uh, having a guest come on the show either way, I'm looking forward to the next one. That's great, man. Thank you ever so much. Speak to you soon. See ya.